Chapter seven, section one of A Practical View of the Prevailing Religious System by William Wilberforce. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Lillis. Chapter seven Practical Hints to Various Descriptions of Persons. Thus have we endeavored to trace the chief defects of the religious system of the bulk of professed Christians in this country. We have pointed out their low idea of the importance of Christianity in general their inadequate conceptions of all its leading doctrines, and the effect hereby naturally produced in relaxing the strictness of its practical system. More than all, we have remarked their grand fundamental misconception of its genius and essential nature. Let not, therefore, the difference between them and true believers be considered as a minute difference, as a question of forms or opinions. The question is of the very substance of religion. The difference is of the most serious and monumentous account. We must speak out. Their Christianity is not Christianity. It wants the radical principle. It is mainly defective in all the grand constituents. Let them no longer, then, be deceived by names in a matter of infinite importance, but with humble prayer to the source of all wisdom that he would enlighten their understandings and clear their hearts from prejudice, let them seriously examine by the scripture standard their real belief and allowed practice, and they will become sensible of the shallowness of their scanty system. If, through the blessing of providence on anything which may have been here written, there should be any whom it has disposed to this important duty of self-inquiry, let me previously warn them to be well aware of our natural proneness to think too favorably of ourselves. Selfishness is one of the principal fruits of the corruption of human nature, and it is obvious that selfishness disposes us to overrate our good qualities and to overlook or extenuate our defects. The corruption of human nature therefore being admitted, it follows undeniably that in all our reckonings, if we would form a just estimate of our character, we must make an allowance for the effects of selfishness. It is also another effect of the corruption of human nature to cloud our moral sight and blunt our moral sensibility. Something must therefore be allowed for this effect likewise. Doubtless the perfect purity of the Supreme Being makes him see in us stains far more in number and deeper in dye than we ourselves can discover, nor should another awful consideration be forgotten. When we look into ourselves, those sins only into which we have lately fallen are commonly apt to excite any lively impression. Many individual acts of vice, or a continued course of vicious or dissipated conduct, which, when recent, may have smitten us with deep remorse, after a few months or years leave but very faint traces in our recollection. At least those acts alone continue to strike us strongly which were of a very extraordinary magnitude. But the strong impressions which they at first excited, not the faded images which they subsequently present to us, furnish the true measure of their guilt, and to the pure eyes of God this guilt must always have appeared far greater than to us. Now to the Supreme Being we must believe that there is no past or future, as whatever will be, so whatever has been, is retained by him in present and unvarying contemplation, continuing always to appear just the same as at the first moment of its happening. Well may it then humble us in the sight of that Being, quote, who is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity, end quote to call to mind that unless our offences have been blotted out by our obtaining an interest in the satisfaction of christ through true repentance and lively faith we appear before him clothed with the sins of our whole lives in all their original depth of colouring and with all the aggravations which we no longer particularly remember but which in general we perhaps may recollect to have once filled us with shame and confusion of face the writer is the rather desirous of enforcing this reflection, because he can truly declare that he has found no consideration so efficacious in producing in his own mind the deepest self-abasement. In treating the sources of the erroneous estimates which we form of our religious and moral character, it may not, perhaps, be without its uses to take this occasion of pointing to some other common springs of self-deception. 
many persons as was formerly hinted are misled by the favourable opinions entertained of them by others many it is to be feared mistake a hot zeal for orthodoxy for a cordial acceptance of the great truths of the gospel and almost all of us at one time or other are more or less misled by confounding the suggestions of the understanding with the impulses of the will the assent which our judgment gives to religious and moral truths with a hearty belief and approbation of them there is another frequent source of self-deception which is productive of so much mischief in life that that though it may appear to lead to some degree of repetition it would be highly improper to omit the mention of it in this place that we may be the better understood it may be proper to premise that certain particular vices and likewise that certain particular good and amiable qualities seem naturally to belong to certain particular periods and conditions of life now if we would fairly reason in estimating our moral character we ought to examine ourselves with reference to that particular quote, sin which does most easily beset us end quote. not to some other sin to which we are not nearly so much liable and in like manner on the other hand we ought not to account it matter of much self-complacency if we find in ourselves that good and amiable quality which naturally belongs to our period or condition but rather look for some less ambiguous sign of a real internal principle or virtue but we are very apt to reverse these rules of judging we are apt on the one hand both in ourselves and in others to excuse quote, the besetting sin end quote, taking and giving credit for being exempt from others to which we or they are less liable and on the other hand to value ourselves extremely on our possession of the good or amiable quality which naturally belongs to us and to require no more satisfactory evidence of the sufficiency at least of our moral character the bad effects of this partiality are aggravated by the practice to which we are sadly prone of being contented when we take a hasty view of ourselves with negative evidences of our state thinking it very well if we are not shocked by some great actual transgression instead of looking for the positive signs of a true christian as laid down in the holy scripture but the source of self-deception which it is more particularly our present object to point out is a disposition to consider as a conquest of any particular vice our merely forsaking it on our quitting the period or condition of life to which that vice belongs when perhaps we also substitute for it the vice of the new period or condition on which we are entering we thus mistake our merely outgrowing our vices or our relinquishing them from some change in our worldly circumstance for a thorough or at least for a sufficient reformation but this topic deserves to be viewed a little more closely young people may without much offence be inconsiderate and dissipated the youth of one sex may indulge occasionally in licentious excesses those of the other may be supremely given up to vanity and pleasure yet provided that they are sweet-tempered and open and not disobedient to their parents or other superiors the former are deemed good-hearted young men the latter innocent young women those who love them best have no solicitude about their spiritual interests and it would be deemed strangely strict in themselves or in others to doubt of their becoming more religious as they advance in life to speak of them as being actually under the divine displeasure or if their lives should be in danger to entertain any apprehensions concerning their future destiny they grow older and marry the same licentiousness which was formerly considered in a young man as a venial frailty is now no longer regarded in the husband and the father as compatible with the character of a decently religious man the language is of this sort quote, they have sown their wild oats they must now reform and be regular end quote. nor perhaps is the same manifest predominance of vanity and dissipation deemed innocent in the matron but if they are kind respectively in their conjugal and parental relations and are tolerably regular and decent they pass for mighty good sort of people and it would be altogether unnecessary scrupulosity in them to doubt of their coming up to the requisitions of the divine law as far as in the present state of the world can be expected from human frailty 
their hearts however are perhaps no more than before supremely set on the great work of their salvation but are chiefly bent on increasing their fortunes or raising their families meanwhile they congratulate themselves on their having amended from vices which they are no longer strongly tempted to commit or their abstaining from which ought not to be too confidently assumed as a test of the strength of the religious principle since the commission of them would prejudice their characters and perhaps injure their fortune in life old age has at length made its advances now if ever we might expect that it would be deemed high time to make eternal things the main object of attention no such thing there is still an appropriate good quality the presence of which calms the disquietude and satisfies the requisitions both of themselves and of those around them it is now required of them that they should be good-natured and cheerful indulgent to the frailties and follies of the young remembering that when young themselves they gave in to the same practices how opposite this to that dread of sin which is the sure characteristic of the true christian which causes him to look back upon the vices of his own youthful days with shame and sorrow and which instead of conceding to young people to be wild and thoughtless as a privilege belonging to their age and circumstance prompts him to warn them against what had proved to himself matter of such bitter retrospection thus throughout the whole of life some means or other are devised for stifling the voice of conscience quote, we cry peace while there is no peace and both to ourselves and others that complacency is furnished which ought only to proceed from a consciousness of being reconciled to god and a humble hope of our possessing his favour i know that these sentiments will be termed uncharitable but i must not be deterred by such an imputation it is time to have done with that senseless cant of charity which insults the understandings and trifles with the feelings of those who are really concerned for the happiness of their fellow-creatures what matter of keen remorse and of bitter self-reproaches are they storing up for their future torment who are themselves its miserable dupes or who being charged with the office of watching over the eternal interests of their children or relations suffer themselves to be lulled asleep or beguiled by such shallow reasonings into sparing themselves the momentary pain of executing their important duty charity indeed is partial to the object of her regard and where actions are of a doubtful quality this partiality disposes her to refer them to a good rather than to a bad motive she is apt also somewhat to exaggerate merits and to see amiable qualities in a light more favourable than that which strictly belongs to them but true charity is wakeful fervent full of solicitude full of good offices not so easily satisfied not so ready to believe that everything is going on well as a matter of course but jealous of mischief apt to suspect danger and prompt to extend relief these are the symptoms by which genuine regard will manifest itself in a wife or a mother in the case of the bodily health of the objects of her affections and where there is any real concern for the spiritual interests of others it is characterized by the same infallible marks that wretched quality by which the sacred name of charity is now so generally and so falsely usurped is no other than indifference which against the plainest evidence or at least where there is strong ground of apprehension it is easily contended to believe that all goes well because it has no anxieties to allay no fears to repress it undergoes no alteration of passions it is not at one time flushed with hope nor at another chilled by disappointment to a considerate and feeling mind there is something deeply afflicting in seeing the engaging cheerfulness and cloudless gaiety incident to youth welcomed as a sufficient indication of internal purity by the delighted parents who knowing the deceitfulness of these flattering appearances should eagerly avail themselves of this period when once wasted never to be regained of good-humoured acquiescence and dutiful docility a period when the soft and ductile temper of the mind renders it more easily susceptible of the impressions we desire 
and when therefore habits should be formed which may assist our natural weakness to resist the temptations to which we shall be exposed in the commerce of maturer life this is more especially affecting in the female sex because that sex seems by the very constitution of its nature to be more favourably disposed than ours to the feelings and offices of religion being thus fitted by the bounty of providence the better to execute the important task which devolves on it of the education of our earliest youth doubtless this more favourable disposition to religion in the female sex was graciously designed also to make women doubly valuable in the wedded state and it seems to afford to the married man the means of rendering an active share in the business of life more compatible than it would otherwise be with the liveliest devotional feelings that when the husband should return to his family worn and harassed by worldly cares or professional labours the wife habitually preserving a warmer and more unimpaired spirit of devotion than is perhaps consistent with being immersed in the bustle of life might revive his languid piety and that the religious impressions of both might derive new force and tenderness from the animating sympathies of conjugal affection can a more pleasing image be presented to a considerate mind than that of a couple happy in each other and in the pledges of their mutual love uniting in an act of grateful adoration to the author of all their mercies recommending each other and the objects of their common care to the divine protection and repressing the solicitude of conjugal and parental tenderness by a confiding hope that through all the changes of this uncertain life the disposer of all things will assuredly cause all to work together for the good of them that love and put their trust in him and that after this uncertain state shall have passed away they shall be admitted to a joint participation of never-ending happiness it is surely no mean or ignoble office which we would allot to the female sex when we would thus commit to them the charge of maintaining in lively exercise whatever emotions most dignify and adorn human nature when we would make them as it were the medium of our intercourse with the heavenly world the faithful repositories of the religious principle for the benefit both of the present and of the rising generation must it not then excite our grief and indignation when we behold mothers forgetful at once of their own peculiar duties and of the high office which providence designed their daughters to fulfil exciting instead of endeavouring to moderate in them the natural sanguineness and inconsiderateness of youth hurrying them night after night to the resorts of dissipation thus teaching them to despise the common comforts of the family circle and instead of striving to raise their views and to direct their affections to their true object acting as if with the express design studiously to extinguish every spark of a devotional spirit and to kindle in its stead an excessive love of pleasure and perhaps a principle of extravagant vanity and ardent emulation innocent young women good-hearted young men wherein does this goodness of heart and this innocence appear remember that we are fallen creatures born in sin and naturally depraved christianity recognizes no innocence or goodness of heart but in the remission of sin and in the effects of the operation of divine grace do we find in these young persons the characters which the holy scriptures lay down as the only satisfactory evidences of a safe state do we not on the other hand discover the specified marks of a state of alienation from god can the blindest partiality persuade itself that they are loving or striving to quote, love god with all their hearts and minds and souls and strength End quote. are they quote, seeking first the kingdom of god and his righteousness End quote. are they quote, working out their salvation with fear and trembling End quote. are they quote, clothed with humility End quote. are they not on the contrary supremely given up to self-indulgence are they not at least quote, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of god End quote. are the offices of religion their solace or their task do they not come to these sacred services with reluctance continue in them by constraint and quit them with gladness 
and of how many of these persons may it not be affirmed in the spirit of the prophet's language quote, the harp and the vial the tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts but they regard not the work of the lord neither consider the operation of his hands End quote. are not the youth of one sex often actually committing and still more often wishing for the opportunity to commit those sins of which the scripture says expressly quote, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of god End quote. Are not the youth of the other mainly intent on the gratification of vanity, and looking for their chief happiness to the resorts of gaiety and fashion, to all the multiplied pleasures which public places or the still higher gratification of more refined circles can supply? And then, when the first ebullitions of youthful warmth are over, what is their boasted reformation? They may be decent, sober, useful, respectable as members of the community, or amiable in the relations of domestic life, but is this the change of which Scripture speaks? Hear the expressions which it uses, and judge for yourselves. Quote, Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. End quote. Quote, the old man is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. End quote. An expression but too descriptive of the vain delirium of youthful dissipation, and of the false dreams of pleasure which it inspires. But, quote, the new man, end quote, is awakened from this fallacious estimate of happiness. Quote, he is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. End quote. Quote, he is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. End quote. The persons of whom we are speaking are no longer indeed so thoughtless and wild and dissipated as formerly, so negligent in their attention to objects of real value, so eager in the pursuit of pleasure, so prone to yield to the impulse of appetite. But this is no more than the change of which a writer of no very strict cast speaks, as naturally belonging to their riper age. Conversi studiis aetas animusque virilis quaerit opus et animicitas, inservit honori, comisisae cavet quod mox mutare laboret. This is a point of infinite importance. Let it not be thought tedious to spend even yet a few more moments in the discussion of it. Put the question to another issue, and try it by appealing to the principle of life being a state of probation. A proposition indeed true in a certain sense, though not exactly in that which is sometimes assigned to it and you will still be led to no very different conclusion. Probation implies resisting, in obedience to the dictates of religion, appetites which we are naturally prompted to gratify. Young people are not tempted to be churlish, interested, covetous, but to be inconsiderate and dissipated. Quote, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. End quote. People again in middle age are not so strongly tempted to be thoughtless and idle and licentious. From excesses of this sort they are sufficiently withheld, particularly when happily settled in domestic life, by a regard to their characters, by the restraints of family connections, and by a sense of what is due to the decencies of the married state. Their probation is of another sort. They are tempted to be supremely engrossed by worldly cares, by family interests, by professional objects, by the pursuit of wealth or of ambition. Thus occupied, they are tempted to, quote, mind earthly rather than heavenly things, end quote forgetting, quote, the one thing needful, end quote, to, quote, set their affections, end quote, on temporal rather than eternal concerns, and to take up with, quote, a form of godliness, end quote, instead of seeking to experience the power thereof, the foundations of this nominal religion being laid, as was formerly explained more at large, in the forgetfulness, if not the ignorance, of the peculiar doctrines of Christianity. These are the ready-made Christians formerly spoken of, who consider Christianity as a geographical term properly applicable to all those who have been born and educated in the country wherein Christianity is professed, not as indicating a renewed nature, as expressive of a peculiar character with its appropriate desires and aversions and hopes and fears and joys and sorrows, 
to people of this description the solemn admonition of christ is addressed quote, i know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead be watchful and strengthen the things which remain and are ready to die for i have not found thy works perfect before god End quote. if there be any who is inclined to listen to this solemn warning who is awakened from his dream of false security and is disposed to be not only almost but altogether a christian Oh, let him not stifle or dissipate these beginnings of seriousness, but sedulously cherish them as the, quote, workings of the divine spirit, end quote, which would draw him from the broad and crowded, quote, road of destruction into the narrow, end quote, and thinly peopled path, quote, that leadeth to life, end quote. Let him retire from the multitude, let him enter into his closet, and on his bended knees implore for Christ's sake, and in reliance on this mediation, that God would, quote, take away from him the heart of stone, and give him a heart of flesh, end quote. That the Father of light would open his eyes to his true condition, and clear his heart from the clouds of prejudice, and dissipate the deceitful medium of self-love then let him carefully examine his past life and his present course of conduct comparing himself with god's word and considering how any one might reasonably have been expected to conduct himself to whom the holy scriptures had always been open and who had been used to acknowledge them to be the revelation of the will of his creator and governor and supreme benefactor let him there peruse the awful denunciations against impenitent sinners let him labor to become more and more deeply impressed with a sense of his own radical blindness and corruption above all let him steadily contemplate in all its bearings and connections that stupendous truth the incarnation and crucifixion of the only begotten son of god and the message of mercy proclaimed from the cross to repenting sinners quote, be ye reconciled unto god end quote. Quote, believe in the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved end quote. When he fairly estimates the guilt of sin by the costly satisfaction which was required to atone for it, and the worth of his soul by the price which was paid for its redemption, and contrasts both of these with his own sottish inconsiderateness, when he reflects on the amazing love and pity of Christ, and on the cold and formal acknowledgments with which he has hitherto returned this infinite obligation, making light of the precious blood of the Son of God, and trifling with the gracious invitations of his Redeemer, surely, if he be not lost to sensibility, mixed emotions of guilt and fear and shame and remorse and sorrow will nearly overwhelm his soul he will smite upon his breast and cry out in the language of the publican quote, god be merciful to me a sinner End quote. but blessed be god such a one needs not despair it is to persons in this very situation and with these very feelings that the offers of the gospel are held forth and its promises assured Quote, to the weary and heavy laden, end quote, under the burden of their sins, to them who thirst for the water of life, to them who feel themselves, quote, tied and bound by the chain of their sins, end quote, who abhor their captivity and long earnestly for deliverance. Happy, happy souls, which the grace of God has visited, quote, has brought out of darkness into his marvelous light, end quote, and, quote, from the power of Satan unto God, end quote. Cast yourselves then on his undeserved mercy. He is full of love and will not spurn you surrender yourselves into his hands and solemnly resolve through his grace to dedicate henceforth all your faculties and powers to his service it is yours now quote, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling end quote, relying on the fidelity of him who has promised to quote, work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure end quote. ever look to him for help your only safety consists in a deep and abiding sense of your own weakness and in a firm reliance on his strength if you, quote, give all diligence, end quote, his power is armed for your protection, his truth is pledged for your security, you are enlisted under the banner of Christ. 
fear not though the world and the flesh and the devil are set in array against you quote, faithful is he that hath promised end quote. Quote, be ye also faithful unto death and he will give you a crown of life end quote. Quote, he that endureth to the end the same shall be saved end quote. In such a world as this, in such a state of society as ours, especially if in the higher walks of life, you must be prepared to meet with many difficulties. Arm yourselves, therefore, in the first place, with a determined resolution not to rate human estimation beyond its true value, not to dread the charge of particularity when it shall be necessary to incur it. But as was before recommended, let it be your constant endeavour to retain before your mental eye that bright assemblage of invisible spectators who are the witnesses of your daily conduct, and, quote, to seek that honour which cometh from God, end quote. You cannot advance a single step till you are in some good measure possessed of this comparative indifference to the favour of men. We have before explained ourselves too clearly to render it necessary to declare that no one should needlessly affect singularity, but to aim at incompatible advantages, to seek to please God and the world, where their commands are really at variance, is the way to be neither respectable, nor good, nor happy. Continue to be ever aware of your own radical corruption and habitual weakness. Indeed, if your eyes be really opened, and your heart truly softened, quote, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, end quote, rising in your ideas of true holiness and proving the genuineness of your hope by desiring, quote, to purify yourself even as God is pure, end quote, you will become daily more and more sensible of your own defeats and wants and weaknesses, and more and more impressed by a sense of the mercy and long-suffering of that gracious Saviour, quote, who forgiveth all your sin and healeth all your infirmities, end quote. This is the solution of what, to a man of the world, might seem a strange paradox, that in proportion as the Christian grows in grace, he grows also in humility. Humility is indeed the vital principle of Christianity, that principle by which, from first to last, she lives and thrives, and in proportion to the growth or decline of which she must decay or flourish. This first disposes the sinner in deep self-abasement to accept the others of the gospel. This, during his whole progress, is the very ground and basis of his feelings and conduct, both in relation to God, his fellow-creatures, and himself. And when at length he shall be translated into the realms of glory, this principle shall still subsist in undiminished force. He shall, quote, fall down and cast his crown before the Lamb, and ascribe blessing and honour and glory and power to him that sitteth upon the throne, and to the Lamb for ever and ever, end quote. The practical benefits of this habitual lowliness of spirit are too numerous, and at the same time too obvious to require enumeration. It will lead you to dread the beginnings and fly from the occasions of sin, as that man would shun some infectious distemper who should know that he was predisposed to take the contagion. It will prevent a thousand difficulties and decide a thousand questions concerning worldly compliances by which those persons are apt to be embarrassed who are not duly sensible of their own exceeding frailty, whose views of the Christian character are not sufficiently elevated, and who are not enough possessed with a continual fear of, quote, grieving the Holy Spirit of God, end quote, and of thus provoking him to withdraw his gracious influence. But if you are really such as we have been describing, you need not be urged to set the standard of practice high and to strive after universal holiness. It is the desire of your hearts to act in all things with a single eye to the favour of God, and thus the most ordinary actions of life are raised into offices of religion. This is the purifying, the transmuting principle which realises the fabled touch which changes all to gold. But it belongs to this desire of pleasing God that we should be continually solicitous to discover the path of duty. 
that we should not indolently wait satisfied with not refusing occasions of glorifying god when they are forced upon us but that we should pray to god for wisdom and spiritual understanding that we may be acute in discerning opportunities of serving him in the world and judicious in selecting and wise in improving them guard indeed against the distraction of worldly cares and cultivate heavenly mindedness and a spirit of continual prayer and neglect not to watch incessantly over the workings of your deceitful heart but be active also and useful let not your precious time be wasted quote, in shapeless idleness end quote. an admonition which in our days is rendered but too necessary by the relaxed habits of persons even of real piety but wisely husband and improve this fleeting treasure never be satisfied with your present attainments but quote, forgetting the things which are behind end quote, labor still to quote, press forward end quote, with undiminished energy and to run the race that is set before you without flagging in your course above all measure your progress by your improvement in love to god and man quote, god is love end quote. this is the sacred principle which warms and enlightens the heavenly world that blessed feat of god's visible presence there it shines with unclouded radiance some scattered beams of it are graciously lent to us on earth or we had been benighted and left in darkness and misery but a larger portion of it is infused into the hearts of the servants of god who thus quote, are renewed in the divine likeness end quote, and even here exhibit some faint traces of the image of their heavenly father it is the principle of love which disposes them to yield themselves up without reserve to the service of him quote, who has bought them with the price of his own blood end quote servile and base and mercenary is the notion of christian practice among the bulk of nominal christians they give no more than they dare not withhold they abstain from nothing but what they must not practice when you state to them the doubtful quality of any action and consequent obligation to desist from it they reply to you in the very spirit of shylock quote, they cannot find it in the bond end quote. in short they know christianity only as a system of restraints she is despoiled of every liberal and generous principle she is rendered almost unfit for the social intercourses of life and is only suited to the gloomy walls of that cloister in which they would confine her but true christians consider themselves not as satisfying some rigorous creditor but as discharging a debt of gratitude theirs is accordingly not the stinted return of a constrained obedience but the large and liberal measure of a voluntary service this principle therefore as was formerly remarked and has been recently observed of true christian humility prevents a thousand practical embarrassments by which they are continually harassed who act from a less generous motive and who require it to be clearly ascertained to them that any gratification or worldly compliance which may be in question is beyond the allowed boundary line of christian practice footnote quote, neither will i offer burnt offerings unto the lord my god says david of that which doth cost me nothing End quote second samuel twenty four verse twenty four quote, they the apostles departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of jesus End quote. acts five verse forty one see also first thessalonians one verse six hebrews ten verse thirty four james one verse two first peter four verses thirteen and fourteen such are the marks exhibited in scripture of a true love to god and though a regard for a common lord is not put to the same severe test as that of the apostles and the first christians was yet if the same principle existed in us also it would surely dispose us to act in the spirit of that conduct and prompt us rather to be willing to exceed in self-denials and labors for christ's sake than to be so forward as we are to complain whenever we are called upon to perform or to abstain from anything though in an instance ever so little contrary to our inclinations End footnote. 
this principle regulates the true christian's choice of companions and friends where he is at liberty to make an option this fills him with the desire of promoting the temporal well-being of all around him and still more with pity and love and anxious solicitude for their spiritual welfare indifference indeed in this respect is one of the surest signs of a low or declining state in religion this animating principle it is which in the true christian's happier hour inspirits his devotions and causes him to delight in the worship of god which fills him with consolation and peace and gladness and sometimes even enables him to quote, rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory End quote. but this world is not his resting place here to the very last he must be a pilgrim and a stranger a soldier whose warfare ends only with life ever struggling and combating with the powers of darkness and with the temptations of the world around him and the still more dangerous hostilities of internal depravity the perpetual vicissitudes of this uncertain state the peculiar trials and difficulties with which the life of a christian is checkered and still more the painful and humiliating remembrance of his own infirmities teach him to look forward almost with outstretched neck to that promised day when he shall be completely delivered from the bondage of corruption and sorrow and sighing shall flee away in the anticipation of that blessed period and comparing this churlish and turbulent world where competition and envy and anger and revenge so vex and agitate the sons of men with that blissful region where love shall reign without disturbance and where all being knit together in bonds of indissoluble friendship shall unite in one harmonious song of praise to the author of their common happiness the true christian triumphs over the fear of death he longs to realize these cheering images and to obtain admission into that blessed company with far more justice than it was originally used he may adopt the beautiful exclamation quote, o preclarum illum diem cum ad illud divinum animorum concilium coetumque proficiscar atque ex hac turba et colluvione discedam what has been now as well as formerly remarked concerning the habitual feelings of the real believer may suggest a reply to an objection common in the mouths of nominal christians that we would deny men the innocent amusements and gratifications of life thus causing our religion to wear a gloomy forbidding aspect instead of her true and natural face of cheerfulness and joy this is a charge of so serious a nature that although it lead to a digression it may not be improper to take some notice of it in the first place religion prohibits no amusement or gratification which is really innocent the question however of its innocence must not be tried by the loose maxims of worldly morality but by the spirit of the injunctions of the word of god and by the indulgence being conformable or not conformable to the genius of christianity and to the tempers and dispositions of mind enjoined on its professors there can be no dispute concerning the true end of recreations they are intended to refresh our exhausted bodily or mental powers and to restore us with renewed vigour to the more serious occupations of life whatever therefore fatigues either body or mind instead of refreshing them is not fitted to answer to the designed purpose whatever consumes more time or money or thought than it is expedient i might say necessary to allot to mere amusement can hardly be approved to any one who considers these talents as precious deposits for the expenditure of which he will have to give account whatever directly or indirectly must be likely to injure the welfare of a fellow-creature can scarcely be a suitable recreation for a christian who is quote, to love his neighbour as himself end quote, or a very consistent diversion for any one the business of whose life is to diffuse happiness but does a christian never relax let us not so wrong and vilify the bounty of providence as to allow for a moment that the sources of innocent amusement are so rare that men must be driven almost by constraint to such as are of a doubtful quality on the contrary such has been the creator's goodness that almost every one both of our physical and intellectual and moral faculties 
and the same may be said of the whole creation which we see around us is not only calculated to answer the proper end of its being by its subserviency to some purpose of solid usefulness but to be the instrument of administering pleasure not content with every food of life to nourish man thou makest all nature beauty to his eye and music to his ear our maker also in his kindness has so constructed us that even mere vicissitude is grateful and refreshing a consideration which should prompt us often to seek from a prudent variation of useful pursuits that recreation for which we are apt to resort to what is altogether unproductive and unfruitful yet rich and multiplied are the springs of innocent relaxation the christian relaxes in the temperate use of all the gifts of providence imagination and taste and genius and the beauties of creation and the works of art lie open to him he relaxes in the feast of reason in the intercourses of society in the sweets of friendship in the endearments of love in the exercise of hope of confidence of joy of gratitude of universal goodwill of all the benevolent and generous affections which by the gracious ordination of our creator while they disinterestedly intend only happiness to others are most surely productive to ourselves of complacency and peace oh little do they know of the true measure of enjoyment who can compare these delightful complacencies with the frivolous pleasures of dissipation or the coarse gratifications of sensuality it is no wonder however that the nominal christian should reluctantly give up one by one the pleasures of the world and look back upon them when relinquished with eyes of wistfulness and regret because he knows not the sweetness of the delights with which true christianity repays those trifling sacrifices and is greatly unacquainted with the nature of that pleasantness which is to be found in the ways of religion it is indeed true that when any one who has long been going on in the gross and unrestrained practice of vice is checked in his career and enters at first on a religious course he has much to undergo fear guilt remorse shame and various other passions struggle and conflict within him his appetites are clamorous for their accustomed gratification and inveterate habits are scarcely to be denied he is weighed down by a load of guilt and almost overwhelmed by the sense of his unworthiness but all this ought in fairness be charged to the account of his past sins and not to that of his present repentance it rarely happens however that this state of suffering continues very long when the mental gloom is the blackest a ray of heavenly light occasionally breaks in and suggests the hope of better days even in this life it commonly holds true quote, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy end quote neither when we maintain that the ways of religion are ways of pleasantness do we mean to deny that the christian's internal state is through the whole of his life a state of discipline and warfare several of the causes which contribute to render it such have been already pointed out together with the workings of his mind in relation to them but if he has solicitudes and griefs peculiar to himself he has quote, joys also with which a stranger intermeddles not end quote. Quote, drink deep however or taste not end quote, is a direction full as applicable to religion if we would find it a source of pleasure as it is to knowledge a little religion is it must be confessed apt to make men gloomy as a little knowledge to render them vain hence the unjust imputation often brought upon religion by those whose degree of religion is just sufficient by condemning their course of conduct to render them uneasy enough merely to impair the sweetness of the pleasures of sin and not enough to compensate for the relinquishment of them by its own peculiar comforts thus these men bring up as it were an ill report of that land of promise which in truth abounds with whatever in our journey through life can best refresh and strengthen us we have enumerated some sources of pleasure which men of the world may understand and must acknowledge to belong to the true christian but there are others and those of a still higher class to which they must confess themselves strangers to say nothing of a qualified 
i dare not say an entire exemption from those distracting passions and corroding cares by which he must naturally be harassed whose treasure is within the reach of mortal accidents there is the humble quiet giving hope of being reconciled to god and of enjoying his favour with that solid peace of mind which the world can neither give nor take away that results from a firm confidence in the infinite wisdom and goodness of god and in the unceasing care and kindness of a generous saviour and there is the persuasion of the truth of the divine assurance that all things shall work together for good when the pulse indeed beats high and we are flushed with youth and health and vigour when all goes on prosperously and success seems almost to anticipate our wishes then we feel not the want of the consolations of religion but when fortune frowns or friends forsake us when sorrow or sickness or old age comes upon us then it is that the superiority of the pleasures of religion is established over those of dissipation and vanity which are ever apt to fly from us when we are most in want of their aid there is scarcely a more melancholy sight to a considerate mind than that of an old man who is a stranger to those only true sources of satisfaction how affecting and at the same time how disgusting is it to see such a one awkwardly catching at the pleasures of his younger years which are now beyond his reach or feebly attempting to retain them while they mock his endeavours and elude his grasp to such a one gloomily indeed does this evening of life set in all is sour and cheerless he can neither look backward with complacency nor forward with hope while the aged christian relying on the assured mercy of his redeemer can calmly reflect that his dismission is at hand that his redemption draweth nigh while his strength declines and his faculties decay he can quietly repose himself on the fidelity of god and at the very entrance of the valley of the shadow of death he can lift up an eye dim perhaps and feeble yet occasionally sparkling with hope and confidently looking forward to the near possession of his heavenly inheritance quote, to those joys which eye hath not seen nor ear heard neither hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive never were there times which inculcated more forcibly than those in which we live the wisdom of seeking a happiness beyond the reach of human vicissitudes what striking lessons have we had of the precarious tenure of all sublunary possessions wealth and power and prosperity how peculiarly transitory and uncertain but religion dispenses her choicest cordials in the season of exigence in poverty in exile in sickness and in death the essential superiority of that support which is derived from religion is less felt at least it is less apparent when the christian is in full possession of riches and splendour and rank and all the gifts of nature and fortune but when all these are swept away by the rude hand of time or the rough blasts of adversity the true christian stands like the glory of the forest erect and vigorous stripped indeed of his summer foliage but more than ever discovering to the observing eye the solid strength of his substantial texture pondere fixa suo est nodusque per aera ramos atolens trunco non frondibus efficit umbram End of chapter seven section one